Blueprint to the Politics of Police Reform The last few weeks in Canada have been difficult. The events of February 2022 are not substantially different from what happened in Germany in the 1930s. Civil rights have been eliminated for a small group of people we are told not to tolerate. The existence of rogue truckers is an existential threat to liberalism. All law is legal, but not all law is moral. Where this means for the Canadian police is not clear. On one hand, the police are sworn to uphold the law. On the other hand, no pledge can absolve us from our moral duty. We must put what is moral before the orders of men. Most people understand that men have a duty to country, a duty to God, and a duty to his fellow man. It is also true that we have a duty to uphold oaths. All these things are true. These various duties can conflict or appear to. Our moral duty is not always clear-cut. The police swear fealty to the law and to the country, not to their conscience. It is impossible to have a police force that owes allegiance to his conscience. We may pay lip service to the idea that all persons must disobey the unjust law, but ultimately it is the police who are charged with enforcing the law and the courts with determining the moral validity of the law. It is not possible for the police to be a deterrent to rebellion if the police judge each order by his own moral standards. A policeman who thinks as a libertarian might view anti-drug laws as immoral. At what point does his sense of justice require him to execute criminals that might otherwise go free? What do we do with policemen who think it wrong for known criminals to escape the court? To ask obedience of the police is not reasonable. We demand scientists, factory workers and bureaucrats follow the orders they are given. What would the nation do if our ambassadors always followed their conscience? The police must follow legitimate orders even if this conflicts with their morality or be disciplined. If there is to be the possibility of a moral refusal, the refusal cannot rest with individual officers, regardless how reasonable it may seem to claim otherwise. A policeman is not a free moral agent, his oath precludes him from taking that position. The question is if it is moral to make an oath and break it, or even, to not follow orders, because one's fallible sense of moral justice is offended. Is there no moral virtue in following orders and fulfilling one's duty? Ultimately, we may all be responsible for our moral decisions, but the nation cannot put national security or the protection of our civil rights on such a fragile basis. Who or what do the police and military protect? There is a serious and unfortunate belief that the people are the nation. How many of us link our nationality and race with our personhood? Is there a thing called a nation, or is it an abstraction with no physical correlate? People deny God because they cannot see Him. Show me this thing you call a nation. We think of the police as existing to serve and protect. We assume they are serving and protecting the people. This perception is strengthened if we witness a policeman police arrest the bad guy.
Our perception of the police as the good guy fighting bad guys is conflicted when the bad guy is us and we are arrested for being a political enemy of the government. There is a sharp and real line between criminals and victims. We know a criminal is the person who is the aggressor. Criminals are people who break the law. But when there are no boundaries or the law is immoral, the police become a bully backed up by a gun. It is no longer a matter of us and them, we become them or the other. When the police become an occupying power, propping up an immoral government, we the people become criminal. It is not a place where we want it to be. What does the people do when the state turns on them? This has happened. It is not a rare occurrence. It is doubtful many people have not had their government turn against them, aided and abetted by their armed units, or turn against a segment of the population. The U.S. has the McCarthy era and the internment of the Japanese. How many Americans turned out to tell the police to follow their conscience? Would it have even helped? The situation in Canada is more nuanced. The war against conservatism has been going on a long time. Usually, the battles against conservatives were local, targeted and described as civil issues. Neurosis is a minor inconvenience, without the dictatorial powers of government to magnify it. Even the power of government is of little significance, without an army of policemen to enforce the regulations of the state. The people believe the people are the nation. When one group is imprisoning and arresting another group of the same nation, because the two groups do not share the same political views, these two groups are not one people, they are not one nation. Which brings us to question as to who the police promised to serve and protect. If we believe the moral conscience of a policeman ought to take precedence over an immoral command, must a citizen comply with regulations enacted by an immoral government? If the police are expected not to comply when a command is issued that is immoral, why must the citizen comply with an order from the police when the actions of the police are deemed immoral? Is protesting the mandates of a state an act of treason when the state is deemed to have lost legitimacy? If the state makes rules that require interpretation, there will always be differences of opinion as to their validity. Debate and difference of opinion regarding the law is acceptable when brought before a court of law. This is so, even when capital crime is involved. But what is the case when a public protest is involved? The nature of a protest is that it disputes the validity of something the state wants done. How much compliance is immoral and how much non-compliance is illegal, even treasonous? The police have always been a paramilitary force. It took its present form when nations were formed. The state realized the domestic population did not pose a threat to state power, so long as a patina of legitimacy was maintained. It was a poor use of resources to dedicate military units to maintain internal order when the threat level was as low as it was. Threats to the monarchy were not limited to attempts to overthrow a legitimate government, however. 
The realm was also threatened by those who broke rules and regulations with impunity. The people of the realm were the property of the monarch. Attacks against subjects were attacks against the property of the state. Even property crimes were ultimately attacks against the property of the state and were dealt with from the perspective of an aggrieved property owner. Police units were developed to maintain order. Subjects were permitted rights to property and other privileges, but it was on condition that good order was maintained. To serve and protect, a phrase on many police units, is not usually interpreted as meaning the police serve and protect the interests of the crown. When it comes to serious crime, the interest of the person and the crown are aligned. Unfortunately, unless the real property of the crown is threatened, the state has no interest in expanding the cost of policing, beyond the level needed to ensure order is maintained. We cannot ignore the problem of cost when discussing policing. The cost of policing vandals and other civil disturbances must be considered from the standpoint of enforcement priorities. Conventional policing is impotent when faced with juveniles committing nuisance crimes or when dealing with property crimes under a particular price point threshold. The resources required to apprehend and process a child who will be returned to the parents is disproportionate to the impact the apprehension has on the incidence of crime. The interests of the Crown and community diverge when the crime has as much to do with civil liberties as it has with property damage. Bothersome parties, unacceptable speech, and obnoxious behavior irk many people but are a poor use of manpower. The laws governing noise and speech are civil liberty issues. A property violation that produces a loss of value can be clearly documented and processed. A home has a well-defined boundary and barriers to entry. Those breaching the boundary and damaging the property are clearly exhibiting criminal intent. But what of a noisy party? How loud must the music be, and after what time must the music and noise continue, before the party is considered a matter for the police to handle? Years ago, in Canada, parking violations were handled by the police. This was deemed a poor use of police resources. Do we need the police to handle noise, trespass and other minor crimes? There is talk of having other groups handle domestic violence issues. It has been noted that the police experience a high level of danger making these calls. This is true, but this may be as much due to the way police interact with people than the situation. We cannot eliminate all crime and we cannot prevent crime from happening. There will always be disturbances and some inconvenience. We cannot tolerate all crime and so some level of prevention and incarceration has to happen. Regardless, whether we practice greater leniency or stronger enforcement, there are real costs involved. How do we reduce the cost of crime? One way is to reduce policing or the number of policemen working. Another is the most targeted approach possible. We need to use police where policing is unavoidable, but not only ought we try to replace this as a strategy, but we must attempt to stop situations from escalating to where the police are needed.
We need to make the police redundant in a way that continues to reduce the costs of crime. A tribal solution is one that devolves policing onto the community using civil courts. Coupled with this is a systematic eliminating of social costs such as poverty, inequality, unemployment, taxation, inflation, and so on. What we advocate is a two-pronged approach. Civil courts reduce the triggers for crime and social dissolution, whilst targeting the precursors to crime every more intelligently. The objective is to approach a point where the first foray into criminal activity is caught and dealt with. Civil courts is a proactive approach to crime that seeks to deal with crime at the moment of conception.